Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome back to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. Today I'm talking to writer, critic and curator Antoine Sargent. Early on in his career, Antoine noticed the lack of conversation about emerging black artistic production and he made it his mission to shine a light on this community. Antoine recently launched his first book, The New Black Vanguard, published by Aperture. The book charts a new generation of young black image makers who are presenting photos that straddle art and fashion with a broader set of intentions. They're telling stories of social and political inclusivity, advocating for a wider celebration of beauty in the self. In his powerful opening essay, he's recontextualizing art history, taking stock of the rich visual contribution of black artists that existed since the advent of photography, and how much of this work laid the foundations for the new generation. The New Black Vanguard is much more than a photo book. It's a portal to start many conversations that carefully consider the politics of art production and how it's evolved over the last few decades. Believe it or not, I, I wanted to be a lawyer. It was like the only <laughs> profession I ever dreamed about um, pursuing. And um, I went to college um, with that in mind. And even after I graduated, um, I had this idea of service um, in my mind. And so I um, didn't go to law school. I went to do Teach for America with the um, with the idea that I would um, teach um and then go to school, go to law school. Um, that obviously didn't happen um, yeah. in New York. Um, in New York, I about a year after I moved there and I was teaching, um, I went to an exhibition with a friend, um, and uh, the exhibition was Micheline Thomas. Um, it was at the Brooklyn Museum. It was a kind of um, survey, her first major survey. Um, and it just blew and knocked me on my, you know, ass really, you know, it kind of like blew, you know, took the wind out of me. And, um, what I thin known then, but what I know now is that it was something about the ways in which she was representing the women, black women that gave me a sense of identification that really spoke to, um, my own upbringing in some ways. 
And it spoke to an art that I had never seen before, right, in the museums that I had frequented in Chicago, but also in Washington, D.C., where I went to college. And so, you know, I just wanted to get to know her. And because it was New York, you know, a few weeks later, she was throwing a party and I went to the party that she you know, was throwing and, and started to talk to her and it kind of really kind of showed me that there was a different possibility to one, not only create art, but also to live my own life, you know? And so I just became fascinated with artists and I would go to their studios and I would, you know, befriend them and, you know, go to parties and, um, and through that, that kind of becoming a part of the community in New York, I noticed that there was just like a lack of conversation in journalism, in magazines, you know, um, in our culture pages around um, emerging Black artistic production. As someone who has always also simultaneously was a writer, right? I um, had a newspaper with my friends um, who were in high school called A Philosopher, you know, which was like so funny. Um, yes, it was as awful as it sounds. Um, and then I, you know, in college, I was on the editorial staff at the main uh, campus newspaper. And then when I was uh, teaching, um, one of my friends asked me, you know, did I, could, would I, you know, have a blog at the Huffington Post? And so I was writing, but I was writing kind of more kind of political articles and essays and and in the first person and so that was happening while I was kind of discovering this community of Black artists. Um, and so I just decided that, you know, I wanted to be a part of the conversation. And the best way that I could be a part of the conversation was to kind of start, you know, going to artist studios and their exhibitions and writing about them, interviewing them and writing pieces of criticism. And 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 that was nine years ago. And so the new Black Vanguard very much is a part of that, you know, almost decade long process and journey to highlight Black artists, to think about their concerns in a serious way um, and to wrestle with them and then to put them in some ways on the page and now in exhibitions. It is an incredible piece of work. It's an incredible book, which I feel like even in the time that we've got together, we could not even scratch the surface of some of the important issues and conversations that you're starting with this project. So um, thank you first for making such an important book. I'd love to hear a little bit about the genesis of the project. When you started working on it, was it one image maker that kind of began this for you? Or was it, you know, were you observing for a long period of time before you decided to create this book? Yeah, I mean, I think that the genesis of this project is, you know, um, in some ways in the story I just told, because, you know, in being in New York and, and, and figuring out, you know, what we call the art world, I met a lot of young, you know, great, you know, black artists. And I and one of them was Awal Arisku, who's one of my like, you know, I called him my brother, you know, we're that close. And I was very much interested in what he was doing. And I've probably written six or seven articles, you know, about AWOL's work before we got to the book, right? And so I've, in some cases, there has been this long um, conversation or dialogue between me and some of the artists. And then I also, just like everybody else, you know, I, I was observing what was happening in culture. You know, I observed the rise of social media and how that allowed for certain artists who are uh, many of who are in this book 
um, to have a voice, to have a platform, to get their work out there, to circumvent traditional magazines and museums to add their voice to, you know, our visual culture. And so that's one thing that's happening, right? The other thing, you know, in a very kind of formal way, Aperture, who I had written for, you know, starting, I think, uh, now three years ago, they approached me and said, hey, we think you should do a book on photography. And I said, okay, I think I should do a book on photography. (laughs) And uh, seeing that it would be my first book, and they said, okay, well, what do you do? What would you, you know, what do, what do you want to do and focus on? What do you want the book to be? You know, like just give me ultimate freedom, right? And I said, well, you know, I think the most exciting thing that's happening in photography right now is this kind of new movement of young black photographers working around the globe, working in, you know, particular cultural contexts, um, creating images that are recasting our notions of the photograph as it relates to art and fashion. And they were like, okay, great, let's do it. And so that was, believe it or not, you know, the book is, I think, 310 pages. That was one year ago, almost to the day, right, that I got that commission. And, And it being my first book, you know, there's a learning process. So I don't think you know, I didn't start to kind of, I think it took another month before I really knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I was working with a great editor, Leslie Martin, who has been at Aperture for a long time and who, you know, has created some really kind of culture shifting books. You know, she did Zanelli Mahole's book with Aperture, um, Lyle Ashton Harris book and several others. And so I knew I was in good hands, you know, um, and, you know, we just start to work. We start to talk. We start to disagree. We start to agree. We start to, you know, we start to kind of, you know, work through that process, you know, and, and she made me to her credit and to mine and I, I defend my ideas, right, to really stress them, you know, stress test my ideas, which I think is, you know, the, the you know, kind of central value of a good editor, right, is to make sure that, you know, when you say something that it could be tested, right? And so, and that it holds up through that test. And so we went through that process and we thought about just, I mean, it's so many different photographers, you know, working just, again, around the globe. And so, I mean, I think we, in the research stage, I think we probably looked at, you know, 300, 400 photographers, you know, in their work and and read, you know, the, the interviews that they did and, and, and really kind of thought about the pictures and, and, and tried to create portfolios of their works. And, you know, and this is all happening kind of behind the scenes as we're trying to kind of figure out the shape of the book, right? And, but I knew in that moment, I knew that it had to be a book that focused on what was new, which is means this generation, but as a way to look back and also think about a future, right? And so I really wanted the book in in the end to be, you know, something that, you know, um, took history and showed us the fruits of that history, right? And so that's why you have these dialogues in the book between, say, older generation photographers and young and our younger photographers are in the book. You know, you have a conversation between Debolis Thomas and Tyler Mitchell. You have one between Micheline Thomas and Cole Lemons. And it really kind of charts, you know, not only the differences in their practice, but how, how ideas of blackness, sexuality, and portraiture has kind of moved or transformed 
over the course of the last few decades within the community, right? Within the black community, right? Because I think there's, a, as you said, this is a really kind of dense project, right? And so, yes, this is about kind of the black body's relationship to kind of wider culture, right? Mm-hmm. But it is also about the black body's relationship to itself, right? How might our own kind of inner community conversations have shifted over the decades, right? I really wanted to create a space where we were doing both of those things. We're having a conversation with a larger you know, society, but we're also having a conversation with ourselves because it was really important to really take stock of a rich photographic history that existed since the advent of photography within the community. Absolutely. I mean, for me, the book is really operating on this sort of nexus of art, race, and justice. And one of the things I found most powerful was how you do start the book in some ways by reflecting back and referencing, you know, incredible photographers like James Van Der Zee and how and why he was excluded from widespread publication, something which has been afforded to somebody of this generation like Tyler Mitchell. And I mm-hmm. found those power dynamics and that light that you were shining on some of these issues really powerful. And I wondered if you could speak um, a little bit about the Thelma Golden quote, which again, I thought was the most incredible place to start when you open the book, being there is no question that representation is central to power. The real struggle is over the power to control images. That kind of perfect for you to start with. Well, because I also wanted to just reflect that these are, you know, this is these conversations have been going on for generations. You know, the quote that you just read is from 1994, an essay she wrote called My Brother for Black Male, which was a seminal exhibition at the Whitney that she curated, right? Where she, for the first time, we had, you know, the concerns of Black male and Black masculinity, you know, in a contemporary art museum overseen by a Black person, right? And I just want to, you know, I wanted to show that, 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 you know, that one, those, these concerns have been happening and we've been struggling against this in some ways for our entire histories, right? But I also wanted to show that right up front there, right, you know, kind of as you kind of enter this, you know, you know, this universe that I'm creating with this book, that what we're going to talk about and what we're going to take seriously is the ways images shape us is the ways that images have operated on us to give us both positive and negative outlooks on the people we encounter, right? On our society, on our relationship to, you know, certain power structures, you know? And so I wanted to make sure that that was front and center. And I wanted that to be a serious point of inquiry as everyone, as you kind of, the viewer looks through the book and reads the essays and reads the conversations that happen, and read the introduction text that, you know, that that um, opens every portfolio. It was my hope that the viewer and the reader would be thinking about the ways in which representation almost silently plays on our psyches and silently shapes our, you know, shapes our realities. And so, you know, when she says there's no question that representation is central to power, what's so, you know, powerful about that is that all of our conceptions, you know, who can be president, who can be beautiful, who can be sexy, what's feminine, what's masculine, all of those things are shaped by the images that we know, that we see. And most of the images that we, that we see in our society are taken and created by white men. And so I wanted to make sure that that was central to our thinking 
as we move through this project. And so that's why I kind of start with that quote from Thelma, because it, it really does just cut through the point of this book. I think it really spoke to me because personally, the psychological effects of being excluded, I've, you know, I've experienced that myself as the as a queer woman, I think we're all really familiar with how women have been portrayed through the white right. male gaze. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, growing up as a queer woman in the 90s, my only point of reference for lesbian women were prison dramas and porn. Mm-hmm. That was literally right, right, right. And mm-hmm. I didn't see myself in those worlds. I didn't know, you know, and it, it can have such a massive impact on your life, like you said, and how right. you experience the world, how you operate within the world. And that's one of the things I agree, like why images are so fundamental. And in some ways, mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm really interested in is this real responsibility that comes with making images and commissioning. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the person behind the camera. It's about the whole team and it's about the person commissioning those people as well. And we need to work together to mm-hmm. kind of create more representation of the world we see around us in all forms. Yeah, I know. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think a a few things is like, and and to get to those points, right, half of the photographers featured in the book are women, right? And that's something you don't see in fashion, right? The the major fashion, or art for that matter, the major fashion and art photographers are all men again. And so I wanted to make sure that we were being real, really serious about, um, about, you know, living you know, some of the rhetoric that has become popular, you know, and I wanted to make sure that we were being really serious about seeing what does the world look like through a woman's eyes, right? And so you have wonderful photographers like Renelle Madrino and Dana Shrugged and Nadine Azuria and Ruth Osazi, who are thinking about the world. They're not just thinking about, you know, uh, femininity or women's issues. They're thinking about masculinity. They're thinking about family. They're thinking about beauty. They're thinking about love. They're thinking, you know, they're thinking about all the things that men get to constantly think about and constantly recast and constantly reshape, right? And so I wanted to make sure that we understood that, that it wasn't, this is not just, you know, it's not just men having these conversations, that, you know, in a lot of ways, a lot of the kind of energy is being created by women. And so I wanted to make sure that that was reflected. I think to your second point that, yes, it's, you know, for a really long time, right, it was about representation meant the physical person in the image, right? So in the, in the 90s and the, you know, early aughts, what you had were black models being used to various degrees in fashion campaigns, in magazines, on the cover, right? And so you get something like Vogue Italia, you know, the the black issue from nineteen uh, from two thousand eight that sells out wildly popular, and you have all black women, Naomi Campbell, you you know, you have you know all of these beautiful, beautiful you know black women, but none of them are shot by any black photographers, right? And most of their representation relied on stereotype either it was either it was the presentation of a black woman in a eurocentric kind of from a eurocentric point of view or was her in kind of tribal prints you know um this kind of beautiful savage right Mm -hmm. and so i i really wanted to make sure that you know we were charting those histories and how that you know in 2019, those things aren't good enough, right? In 2019, you like, you know, you don't get, you know, in my point of view, you don't get a pat on the back 
for, you know, hiring your first black photographer, you know, or your first woman photographer, or your first Asian photographer, whatever. You don't, you know, like, like we really need to be reflective um, of what our institutions are doing. And we need to push back on some of these scenarios. Absolutely. I think the conversation with Shaniqua Java towards the end of the book is really important as well, because I feel like she beautifully captures that. And when she's talking about black celebrities being portrayed through the white gaze and it doesn't translate, it doesn't resonate for an audience mm-hmm. of colour. It, You know, it's just, it's kind of a pointless gesture. And I think more and more, it's it's not even in some ways about the photograph. It's about the space in which the photograph has been made. One question, you know, that I was, I've been asked is, is why do you always say the construction of an image opposed to say, a photograph. I was like, because I want to signify that there's a process to the making of an image. Images just don't arrive, you know? There are teams of people who create those images, right? And that's why, you know, in, in the book, when we look at the credits, everybody's credited, right? We have the model credited, we have the photographer credited, we have hair, we have makeup, stylist, fashion design. We, we really want to show that, that, that these are being, these images are being meticulously constructed for your consumption, right? And so I think that, you know, that conversation, you know, between Renell and Shaniqua, right? Shaniqua is a 20-year veteran in the fashion and art, you know, space. Um, and, for, you know, as a, as a um, Black female photographer, and Shaniqua and Renell is, a, a, you know, a relatively newcomer, right? And they've, they've been given, you know, different opportunities, and Shaniqua has encouraged Rennell's career, and, and I thought it was, in, it was important to kind of create a space where two Black female photographers could talk about their, their experiences in the industries, right, and how those experiences have been different because of time, right? And so yeah. in some cases, you do see some progress, and then other cases, as you, as you mentioned, there is um, a, a longing for more control, Right of those images, we did this um, this project with Burberry, right, um, to launch um, the new Black Vanguard. We partnered with Burberry to who commissioned three of the photographers to create images for them, right. And central to those conversations was the control of the image, you know. And we were very Burberry and me and the photographer were very clear about the photographers being able to create the images they want they wanted to see and I think the images are successful because there was no creative brief right it was yeah. like we believe in your artistic you believe in your artistic vision and your artistic talent and we came to you for that right and I think more conversations need to be led by the artists they need to be you know instead of you know um, editors or art directors or, you know, whatever. I think it, I think there needs to be a true sense of collaboration. I also think that, you know, part of that, you know, part of it is if, if you know, the editorial staffs and the, the curating staff and the, the staff at fashion houses, if they were more reflective of our society, then we would have, you know, more honest images. Absolutely. I mean, it's funny to me, in the art press, a lot of the interviews I've seen that you've done, there's a lot of buzz around how the book is kind of critiquing the art world and this, mm-hmm. and you know, the history of exclusion within the art world, which is obviously very relevant and very important. But one of the things that I really thought um, when looking at the book is, you know, the history of fashion has deep roots in exclusion oh, sure. elitism. And it's mm-hmm. historically a space where anyone who wasn't white, thin and hetero was rendered invisible. 
And right. so while things are shifting now and it's really exciting and, you know, part of that is because of the next generation of artists that are in your book, these histories are important to remember and people need to bear in mind the context. One of the things that I'm always interested in is the role of the institution and the culpability of the institution mm-hmm. and what we understand to be art, right? Or what we understand to be beautiful or what we understand, you know, to be representations of power or or representations of, you know, someone who is, you know, uh, a human being even, you know? And so I, I think that, like, you cannot let, you know, um, our institutions off the hook because institutions are people, right? And we need to make sure that we have the right people in institutions so we can have them reflect us in ways that are respectable and, you know, just. And so... We are, you know, I think that, again, this is just the beginning, but I also think it's important to realize and it's important to note that the only reason why these photographers have, you know, have had the success that they have had is because in some ways they've circumvented the institutions, right? They've circumvented the museum, they've circumvented the magazine, they've they've circumvented traditional gatekeepers to present their images in spaces that almost rendered those places irrelevant, right? And what I'm talking about is the way that, say, Campbell Addy created his own modeling agency and created his own magazine to kind of show his own concerns, right? I'm, I'm talking about the way that Jamal Naxlana in South Africa created Bubblegum Club, his own publishing platform, you know, um, that highlights, you know, South African youth, right? I'm talking about the way that Awal Arisku used Instagram to present exhibitions, you know, on that platform, right? I, 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 like, I think they're, you know, each generation uses the technology that they have to kind of create, you know, um, new possibilities. And I think we're seeing that, you know, and I think that the only reason why museums and editors and, you know, are interested or even fashion houses in some ways is because the ways in which um, these, these image makers have said through their work ethic, if you continue to ignore us, um, you're going to make yourself irrelevant, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I think that's important to um, to note that it wasn't just our traditional um, spaces where we see images opening the doors and saying, it's time. I think a lot of those places have been pushed to reconsider their practices. And I think that um, while that's significant, it is also important to realize that it was not, you know, necessarily benevolent, that these, you know, photographers are storming these institutions. Absolutely. That's one of the most exciting things to watch. I've I've known Campbell since he started, since he graduated, actually, and watching how he shaped his businesses and his kind of knee empire is incredible. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely incredible. And people in some, it's kind of funny to watch people in some ways fear his power. It's so Mm -hmm. exciting. He's really reshaping things. And also giving other people the tools. He's not just doing this for himself. He's giving, he's enabling, he's enabling other people to have the tools to make more inclusive work. And that's really important as well. Yeah, I think one of the things that comes out of like a marginal condition is that when you get some sense of power or when you walk through a door that others had not walked through, there's almost a sense that you see in this book for you to reach back. Or for you to say, I'm going to, you know, this is not just about me. This is about trying to bring a whole host of voices into the room and change the room, you know, to change the institution. I think that 
you know, you, you brought up Campbell, you know, I think the way that he had collaborated with the stylist Ib Kamara, that, you know, that kind of power kind of linking, you know, I think about, you know, Tyler Mitchell and the stylist Carlos, right? Like, I, I think, like, I think about how they are, you know, creating their own kind of communities and teams, you know, um, that represents, you know, diversity that we, you know, of our world to reshape, you know, these institutions from within. And so I, and so with, so I see Campbell's work and then I see all the people who Campbell had brought into the building with him mm-hmm. that says that, you know, this is not a trend, you know, like we are changing the, the outcome. And I think that for me is just it gives me so much hope, you know, I, it, because it really is about not just one, you know, the only one in the room, so to speak, but it's about how can we get as many of us in the room with differing points of view to have our voices be heard. Absolutely. Just off the bat of that, I'd be really curious to understand your take on Tyler's Vogue cover, because obviously that was a historic moment. It's their incredible photographs, and Tyler's been making some amazing work and working very Mm -hmm. hard at building Mm -hmm. his career. And in some ways, that cover, I think people think that cover opened the doors to almost everybody in your book rather than a lot of those artists have been working for a considerable amount of time building their own career. And I'm curious to know kind of what you think about the Vogue cover and the kind of role it played for this group of artists at this time. I mean, I think you're spot on, right? I think that what the Vogue cover did at best, I think, is shine a light on all the other artists that we're creating and who were not being recognized for what they were creating, right? And so for that, I am grateful. And for that, I, you know, I, I thank Vogue for a long overdue gesture, right? Yeah. But I also say to Tyler, I go, you know, I always joke, I'm like, you're the first and second black photographer to ever shoot a Vogue cover, right? And mm-hmm. I think that kind of joke tells you everything. Right. That was what a year ago now, you know, and I think that, you know, Vogue has done so many different covers now in the the past kind of 12, 13 months, and they've not worked with another black photographer. And I think that in that way, there is something that 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 is suggestive of some sort of kind of, you know, publicity or some sort kind of angling for relevance that, you know, if you were truly committed right to to this moment that in some ways you've helped to kind of amplify, then you would have simply just had more photographer, you know, more black photographers shoot, for, shoot your covers. So I think that I am still, you know, it's still very kind of a wait and see. I don't give Vogue any, I, I, I don't make bones about this. I don't give Vogue any sort of credit for that cover because again, you know, it's long overdue and it's hard for me to kind of applaud them when I know the generations of photographers that they ignored and that there is in this moment where they could really, you know, be of great assistance and kind of countering some of that history, there seems to be little interest. You know, it's that thing where it's like, we did what, you know, we did our part, you know, and I don't yeah, think, and I, yeah. don't, and I don't think that, that, that they truly understand what it has meant to be kept at it at magazine for so long. I don't think they truly understand what it means to to not see yourself represented in the most august magazine, lifestyle magazine in the world. You know, I, and I think that um, that that there's no more to be done there. And I think that I, and I hope they would do it. You know, but I'm 
I'm not going to kind of make bones about or I'm not going to give anyone a medal or, you know, real damage that has been done, you know. And I also think that, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting about and, you know, me and Tyler are very close. One of the things that's interesting about the cover, right, is that Tyler at 23 gets an opportunity of a lifetime, right? And we love it. And the images are unbelievable. And I think he did an amazing job of the opportunity that he was given. You know, I think, you know, if you think about the co- the cover where Beyonce is standing in a beautiful Alexander McQueen dress that she has the Pan-African tricolors, right, on, and how that image, you know, kind of really points to his own concerns, right? His interest in the mundane, right? And so his own artistry kind of shines through in that cover. Those commissions are tricky. And so I'm always, and so when artists are able to do what they have been doing on these large platforms, I think that's a really great thing. And I think that's, you know, to Vogue's credit. And then I also think about, you know, kind of the the subtle histories that are communicated or alluded to in that image. You know, you think about, you know, Black labor, really. You know, you think about, you know, Black women in so many ways being the help for so long, right? And and, and uh, represented as the help in our popular depiction. And so you think about, you know, Black domesticity, right? You think about, you know, the clothesline, right? You think about all of these things, these notions that are tied up in an image. And I think it's so successful in that way. And it also shows a great intimacy with, you know, Beyonce, who's the, you know, she's the celebrity celebrity. I didn't even know how to describe her you know, <laughs> cultural impact. You know, yeah. you've not seen images of her like that, right? Yeah. Like these are very intimate photographs. And I think that they are successful in that way. I think there is also, you know, just the sense of what else could have been possible if Micheline Thomas were allowed to shoot a Vogue cover, if... You know, Carrie Mae Weems were allowed to shoot a Vogue cover. If James Vanderzee was allowed to shoot a Vogue cover. If Malik Sidibabe was, you know, allowed to shoot a Vogue cover. All of these creators who were there forever creating these images that were fashion images. As we celebrate this moment, you know, and and how groundbreaking historic that moment is, the fact that it occurred in 2018 really makes it hard for me to swallow just on a personal level, you know, and, I, and maybe people have different opinions about that. And I, I do, again, I commend Vogue for stepping into you know the present in that way, but there is more work to be done. And I think that one cover for me does not write a historic injustice. You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. One of the things that really fascinated me, I think you write about this in your opening essay, is that this almost might be the first time in history where a a very young artist, you know, he's in his early 20s, has opened up opportunities for older artists. There is no doubt. There is no, no doubt in my mind. The historic part that was not talked about is exactly what you said, is what that image triggered a lot of companies to look inward, right? Triggered a lot of editors to say, oh, maybe... I wasn't thinking about that. And maybe that's a problem, right? Or maybe just having black models shot by white photographers is not the right way to kind of think about diversity, right? Maybe that's level one thinking on diversity. Maybe level two thinking on diversity is hiring black photographers. Maybe level three is that, you know, perhaps we should give some of the editorial decisions to black people, right? And, you know, and so I, I think that like, you know, we are moving hopefully in the right direction. It seems that way. But yes, I think I do. I 100% think that, you know, you're right in a sense that, that it is an odd dynamic. 
that, you know, a young photographer in some ways was able to create in this really kind of particular space opportunities for older artists, I think. It also must be noted that Tyler was only able to do that, and Tyler says this himself, is because of that work that was being, that was not seen, maybe not seen in the mainstream, but he was very much aware of that work, right? And so he was very much aware of Carrie Mae Weems. He was very much aware of Roy De Caraba, right? He was very much aware of Micheline Thomas and some of these other artists who very much shaped and informed his work, right? Deb, Deb Willis Thomas, who is Hank Willis Thomas's mother um, and a noted scholar of Black portraiture, right? Having writing over 20 books about the subject, was his mentor at, at NYU. Tyler has been shaped, you know, by um, a rich history. But yes, I agree that him getting that particular opportunity triggered others to say, how are we measuring up? And perhaps we need to create other opportunities for different folks. Yeah, one thing that I wanted to talk to you about, actually, because I noticed you've been talking about it a lot on Twitter, is this kind of idea that visibility doesn't always guarantee kind of equity. And while some of these photographers, not necessarily the ones in the book, but some uh, of the photographers of colour that are raising their profile and have quite a lot of visibility right now, aren't necessarily getting the same resources and opportunities mm-hmm. that their peers are. I think this is something that totally happens behind closed doors a lot of the time. People just see that someone has like a million followers and thinks, oh, they're making loads of money, they're really successful. But actually, it can often be a different story. I think that once you make it into the institution, there's a different fight. And often, inequality shows up in the resources and space, physical space that you're given, right? And so what I mean by that is there's been a whole host of these photographers who shot spreads for Vogue, right? But no one has been offered another cover, right? Um, There's a, like when you're thinking about museum shows, right? There might be small presentations of Black artists, but major retrospectives, have been few and far between. It's important to kind of keep being critical again of our institutions because that's the only way they're going to change. And that's the only way that um, we're going to get a true sense of, of equality. Continuing to question and to continuing to kind of push back against some of the surface level representation or visibility is important because this industry is still not where we need it to be. Neither, you know, neither art or fashion is still where we need to be. Although this is an exciting moment, you know, there has been other exciting moments. You know, if you think about the 1990s, if you, you know, if you think about, you know, the 1960s and 70s, right? Exciting moments. You know, and so we want lasting change. We want lasting impact. We want true equality. The thing is, is that over the last 30 years, the leadership in fashion and art have essentially been the same. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and if you think about that, that means that the same people who are commissioning Black artists now were the same people who kept them out for so long. I think going forward, this is what's so fascinating about the social media aspect of these artists' work and the power that comes with building their own individual audiences and cultivating those audiences. Because in some ways, some of these photographers have bigger audiences than huge global magazines. They're reaching more people. And so what does that mean? Because if they're bringing their audience 
to a magazine, then they're bringing a lot of value. They're bringing, you know, that that speaks in boardrooms what they're doing. Seeing how that's going to unravel is really interesting because the power shift, I think, is going to change very quickly over the next few years. I mean, it already has, but it feels like it. there's possibilities of it changing in a truly meaningful way. Yeah, I mean, I think that it would be disingenuous to say that these magazines and these museums are not thinking about survival when they're thinking about widening their cannons, right? What they have been doing for so long was continuing to work I think we would be having a different fight, quite frankly. Yeah. Because what happened is their business models broke. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I mean, that's just like, like, let's just be honest about it. Right. And so I think that like, that's why I'm a, I'm a, I'm very skeptical of, you know, certain gestures happening in the industry. People care deeply about art. People care deeply about, you know, reading and publications, right? It's just that, you know, people, again, have not been, those same people have not been represented, right? They're no longer going to just be force-fed ideas that are harmful to them, right? And so I just think that what people are exercising is agency. And I think that that's a wonderful thing. I think that's the perfect place to end. Thank you. Yeah, no, that was great. (laughs) Thank you so much for making this, like, truly important book and it really speaks to so many crucial issues that should be a concern for everybody you know erasure equity authenticity power and the importance of how stories are told and made thanks for listening to the messy truth you can find more information about today's guests in the show notes theme music is changed by judd greenstein from the album awake and design is by ruby white You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.